And hello, folks. Here we are for another episode of the mini PC show, Big Talk Small Computers. It's episode 126, brought to you by a Patreon sponsor called Melon Bread. How's it going, Dor? Hey, Rich. Uh, it's going actually pretty good. I'm, I'm happy this is the second show we've done in under a month, so we're like ahead of the game. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, I'm doing okay is what I'll say. Um, we're, I'm never experienced this before in my life, uh, but at my job, we're getting ready to experience like a genuine crunch time where they're telling me from November the 11th through December the 31st, I'm not able to take any leave, which uh, okay. I've, never, I've never had witnessed before in my life. So I'm like really confused. So wait, wait, from what date of what date? November the 11th to December 31st. So Thanksgiving, New Year's, Christmas, all that. Well, we're going to have the normal state holidays that are there, but we can't take off. Now, of course, my boss said to me, you know, if your kid needs to go to the doctors or, or you get COVID or whatever, yes, we understand that. But we're asking you don't take off unless you absolutely have to. So it isn't like, you know, I'm working in Silicon Valley or anything, but I'd be know. getting COVID. Well, you know, I'll just put it like this. Um, I know a couple of years ago they tried to do something similar and it didn't end well for the government. Uh-huh. But hey, that's a different story. Um, I want to thank Swift for joining us. Uh, Swift is an awesome guy down here in Baltimore. Baltimore. Um, if you want to watch us live, it's very easy. You can follow us on Facebook which I don't actually interact with, but I automatically post there thanks to Hootsuite. You can follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on Discord, or you can send me an email and I will let you know when we go live as soon as I possibly can. Um, I will say, Rich, um, there's been a little flutter in the mini world, but I got to ask, how is your local environment going? How is your data center in a drawer going? Uh, it's going pretty good. It, it really needs to be like torn out. If I sent you a picture of it, everybody would lose all respect for me. Um, really needs to be torn out, put back together and organized. It's really, really a freaking massive disaster. It's all working. It, um, over, over the time. So I'll, I'll take a few moments here. I originally was running, um, Plex in all the accessory apps, you know, Plex, Radar, Sonar, in whatever else, on an Odroid XU4. Actually, going back, the OG was a, uh, oh gosh, what was it? A Banana Pro. Wow, I haven't had the Banana Pro powered up in forever. I forgot all about it. So originally it was running on the Banana Pro, and then I threw it on the Odroid XU4, and then I had the Odroid, Odroid XU4 and the Odroid N2 running in parallel. And I didn't figure out what happened. I just figured I'd jump to a solution. Um, so Plex, all right, let, let me tell you what the possible problems were. I don't know if it was as updates came up, it just exposed more, it seemed to tax the hardware more. That could have been one thing as updates came out, or it could have been that it downloaded higher quality files and it was tougher for it to stream, like, you know, 4K 60 frames. I'm not sure what happened. And, and that's the problem. I mean, I'm, I guess I could look up the logs and figure it out. I never did. What I did do is I grabbed my um, upsquared board, which is basically like a Nook. So what happens is you need memory and you need GPU to run Plex. You know, those ease its ability. I, I threw everything on the uh, upsquared board and everything's been working fine. 
So, I I hate to I kind of have some remorse that I've left the Arm World for my Plex services, uh, but I have, and um, I, I do got to do some straightening out. I am running two uh, home automation assistants. And one handles the frigate NVR. If you guys, I, I talked about in the prior podcast, and that's going good. I the next gen or next level on the frigate NVR. So it's a software NVR, and that's network video recorder. I don't know why they don't call it a DVR, you know, digital video recorder. But in security language, it's an NVR. Um, and if you guys didn't listen, I'll try to give you the 10,000-foot view. I'm utilizing the Google Coral, which is a TPU, Tensor Processing Unit, hardware unit, to do the AI for vehicle recognition. So it recognizes when there's a car or a person on my property. So the next level for intermediate steps. So version 1.5 is I got to tame the notifications. It, it was like a little kid when the sun came up in the morning. Car, car, car. It's like I got to... like get it to settle down to like one notification every five minutes or not notify me when it sees the same car in the same spot again. Uh, version two is going to be understand whose family. And I guess the two plus is, Hey, open the garage door, turn off the alarm, turn on the lights. If it's at night when it sees family, those kinds of things. So things are, things are all good. They're, they're messy as hell. I need to kind of not nuke and pave, but you know, evict and reinstall you know rewire because it's it's really a rat's nest it's really sad yeah i absolutely 100 percent agree with you um the problem is you know it was almost like the banana pie pro where my stuff isn't failing so i just have like a hodgepodge of things and once it's it's running i it's like a router i don't touch it and it just seems to keep running forever where i really should do some reorganizing because i have my Raspberry Pi 4 with the ice tower cooler. Right now it's running my Mumble server, which is like, you know, it's like using a tractor trailer to deliver a candy bar. It's, you know, you shouldn't be using something like that. Um, I my right. Rock 64 running my NextCloud instance, which is pretty good. I have my Odroid uh, XU4 just sitting here doing nothing. It could be used for something very easily. Um, when I decide to play around, I use my NanoPi Neo for my Node Red instance just to play around kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um yeah, I definitely need to get more structured. I'll say my things, just start up a spreadsheet, all of the applications I'm going to run, and then all of the hardware I got and divvy them up correctly, and then right. just you know, do it. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely underutilizing many things. And um, I, I actually, so if you guys don't know, behind my monitor, I have a four-node ESXi cluster on Raspberry Pi, so Raspberry Pi 4s. So four nodes, they're running high availability, they're doing vMotion, all, all kinds of crazy stuff. So like if I pulled the plug on one of the Raspberry Pis, the VMs that were running on it would migrate to another one. And uh, just cool stuff, very cool stuff. So that I'm underutilizing. I was spinning it up for another project. Um, I, I also have, so I have a Intel cluster with Intel Nooks. And I have a ARM cluster with Raspberry Pis for my VMware home lab. And that I need to utilize more. I'm really not doing any what I would call production stuff with it. I do run Spaghetti Detective in a container on one of the, uh, in an Intel VM. And that watches when I do a 3D print, um, 
like actually this is kind of cool. I printed a brace for a firearm, but I used electrical conduit in the center. So instead of being 17 hours to print, it was 11 hours to print, and I was able to use it the next morning. So that that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, spaghetti detective. And if you're not familiar with 3D printing, they say you print spaghetti when something goes wrong and just filament comes out and it prints like a rat's nest of spaghetti. So Spaghetti Detective is an AI that watches for that. And it's local. You can do it cloud AI, but I my paradigm, not that I'm fully adhering to it, but my paradigm is all my stuff stays on my network. Right. I also, if, if you let me bloviate a little longer, um, I was running NextCloud on an ARM. Uh, I decided I was gonna go intel with it so that's running i downloaded nextcloud vm and i think i got to increase the disk size because I'm, I'm doing a couple of things i like because i shoot videos actually i shoot videos on this phone here and what i like about it is if you put the nextcloud client on it when you connect to your wi-fi it pulls all of your files you know where i keep my videos and stills onto my nextcloud instance and then it's real easy to pull it into my Mac, into iMovie, and edit, as opposed to plugging in, getting the, you know, Android whatever thing, file transfer to run on the Mac, and, which can be a little wonky at times. It works. It can be just a pain getting it going. And, you know, so I'm happy with that. So it's kind of, it's only almost magical because I'll just go to my next cloud instance and there will be the files that I shot earlier for a video I need to put together. Yeah, yeah. Um, the real quick comment I have about your um, Tensor Coral device, um, mm -hmm. I'm having a really hard time finding information, like detailed information, like versions of chips. And the reason I say that is if your version of Coral Tensor chip is compatible with the brand new Google Pixel 6 and Google Pixel 6 Pro, uh, you should start to see a buttload of, in of efficiency enhancement. And just um, um, ability of workload to be done, you know, in like any second kind of thing here in the next like year. Um, because is Google, there a TPU on the pixels? Where I don't see where you're going. Well, there's not. Here's the thing: they basically forgo like Qualcomm altogether, and they're not putting a Snapdragon chip in their phone. They're not putting a Samsung chip in their phone. They're not putting any of those people's chips in their phone. The whole phone is being driven by a tensor chip. So the entire wow. yeah, that's that's pretty bold in my opinion for them to do that. So because of that, I believe they feel incredibly confident that the ecosystem and that chip is going to be a thing that they can use for at least a year or two to come. So I do expect uh the people who have the USB like tensor chips see a lot of in um in improvements. That's crazy. So realistically that that's gonna be uh what was it in in Terminator? Uh, Skynet. 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 Yeah. So that's going to be Skynet because if there's tens or hundreds of thousands or millions of these things out there and they're all thinking, that's going to be Skynet. So your Google Pixel will end humanity and kill us all. Well, it had to be something. Um, and what? And, <laughs> and um, a meteorite. Yeah. Um, a meteorite dinosaur or something. Um, and with Nextcloud, I'll say this. It's hard to run it on an ARM processor if you want to do either the NextCloud talk or mm -hmm. if you really do want a high-performance NextCloud instance. Um, the only thing I'll suggest is if you do go on x86, 
Uh, I do like the version of NextCloud from Own Your Bits because it has a fully complemented front end and a uh, control panel back end that mm-hmm. is really easy to do backups, migrations, federation, and things like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's I haven't gotten to the video conferencing part of that, but that's one of the things I, I was interested in, and that's that's why I went Intel on a VM. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, the other I'll say in air quote like big news that happened here in the mini uh, PC world here recently was that it turns out um, like they have no choice in air quote, but the Raspberry Pi has to basically up their prices. Um, How? Oh, dude, I've been I've been wanting more Pi fours and eight gig Pi fours for different reasons, and I've been finding them like on Amazon for one hundred and fifty bucks. Uh, I think that's double what I got them from like Canakit or so. Well, I mean, I don't want to say it's because of capitalism, but you know, we all heard about these uh, chip shortages going on all around the world. Um, in air quotes, um, and you know. These people ain't different. They still have chips that they need on their devices. Um, part of the thing is, though, the Raspberry Pi Foundation is recycling old Raspberry Pi boards to help with the new Raspberry Pi boards, number one. Number two, they've had their best-selling month in the history of the Raspberry Pi Foundation. I want to say it was six months oh, wow. ago. There was like 800,000 boards. Um, I can tell you, every time I've looked for a Raspberry Pi in the last four or five weeks, uh-huh. every place it's sold out. doesn't matter what version I'm looking at. Um, so what they're doing is they're temporarily raising the price. I want to say uh, back up to 10 bucks per each board. And they're introducing, again, the old one gigabyte Raspberry uh, oh, wow. 4 model, which I think I understand what they're trying to do. They're basically just saying, look, if you're really desperate, one gig is enough. Here, take your board. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, well, so there's, uh, I, there's two ways to control things. It's price and rationing. And so they up the price. Well, and it's like, you know, it's one of those things, if they can't keep them in stock and they don't raise the price, uh, you know, then they're just going to go crazy. And then then you're going to start to have people buy them and just put them on eBay for mm-hmm. bloated prices, which I think is what they're trying to avoid. Um, yeah. My logic is if you really do need a Raspberry Pi, uh, you can go to the raspberrypi.org website, click on buy and keep revisiting those sites, those dedicated sites. And then you won't get raked over the coals. You won't pay, you know, $115 for a Raspberry Pi kit when all you really want is a Raspberry Pi. Um, so the Pi 4 is 45 What's the 1 gig? Is that the 2 gig or the 1 gig is 45 bucks? Um, It's the 2 gig Raspberry Pi is temporarily back up to $45 from $35. And the How much? 1 gig uh, is 35 1 gig is 35 uh, It's All right. So what's, what's the 8 gig? They're not even mentioning it because my guess is that you ain't going to be able to get it. Um, also, I yeah. will say I've never seen as many Raspberry Pi for compute module projects mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they're selling either it is like a half done handheld gaming console where all you got to do is put it together or a mini NAS or all, all these kinds of things being bundled up with Raspberry Pis, but they're always been compute modules. So those things are selling like hotcakes. But Ari, I don't, who, who is the right customer for the compute module? Because the compute module is like 2x what a Pi costs with the same spec. Um, it's for people who want to do like small batch manufacturing. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, so I think you nailed that. I think I have a product, but I need the smarts of a Raspberry Pi in it. 
So it doesn't matter that I need a carrier board, infrastructure, whatever, and a compute module that costs twice as much as a Raspberry Pi. I don't have one to like hold up right now. I, I did clean my office, so there's not stuff all over. Um, but I, I mean, I would be more of the like, I, I wish I could pull my Pi cluster. That's the only thing that's neat, but it's behind my monitor over there and show it to you. The, I, I would, because I'm cheap, I, I would almost put uh, like a 40 pin hitter, header on a motherboard and just mount the Raspberry Pi on, on a motherboard as a daughter board, you know? Because uh, the compute module would make sense to me if you needed to build a Raspberry Pi supercomputer and you wanted those things slotted together. And I, all right, so I probably showed this a couple of times. I'm, I'm going to go grab it. I, I've got a 3D printing project. And uh, so I have 3D printed a Mac trash can. And it's going to have four Raspberry Pis in it. And there's going to be one Ethernet connection and one power connection because there's a five-port switch inside. Let me... That's my cluster computing on the cheap solution. Is I, I just printed a Raspberry Pi or Mac trash can with four Pis and a five-port switch in there. It's going to have a power brick. Oh, and there's a fan inside it also. Very cool, very cool. Um, I will say, I think one of the... I'm going to use these words lightly. I think one of the advantages to the Raspberry Pi Foundation to pitch the compute module is it's literally less parts to put on the board. So it should be mm -hmm. quicker to make, easier to make, less um, um, beholden to chip shortages. So it wouldn't shock me if that's the other thing. When you buy them in bulk, I think from them, I think they're oh, much okay. more gracious to like fill your order. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's the case, then it makes complete sense that I want to put together a compute cluster and I want to have, you know, a number of Raspberry Pi compute modules. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, and I will say um, the, in air quote, chip shortage is real. Um, you know, we're going to experience it. Uh, everybody is experiencing it from Elon Musk and Tesla's GM, Ford, Chevy, Mitsubishi, Infinity, all the car manufacturers. Here's one of the gimmicks, though. I've been listening to my fair share of economic-type podcasts, and the problem isn't really that there's a chip shortage. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a very, like, simplistic way to say, well, there's a chip shortage. That's the problem. The actual problem is the infrastructure wants to grow up to the next version of chips, and you have like car manufacturers and other people not wanting to get off of the old model. Look, we have everything all lined up. We just want these old chips. And the old chip manufacturers basically are squeezing them because they do not want to make the old chips. They want to move forward. Mm -hmm. they, they want to Moore's Law it and keep jumping and jumping and jumping. And you have all this infrastructure in place that wants old chips. So with that said, like the new Apple chips, the new Google chips, and new NVIDIA type things, we're going to start to see that there's not shortages on those kind of things. Instead, there are mm -hmm. shortages on chip architecture that's five plus years old. So the legacy stuff, and I hate using that word legacy, but the legacy chips are, are what's in short supply. I, in a, I, I can understand if you have uh you know engine management system that you've thoroughly tested and vetted and have a lot of infrastructure behind uh you want to keep doing that and i'm i'm kind of in the you dumbass shame on you thing 
because everybody's doing just-in-time manufacturing. And they're not doing just-in-time where they're temporarily warehousing it for a day. They're, they're just-in-time to where it's 10 to 12 minutes uh, being delivered before it needs to be put on a machine and installed. I mean, th this is just not bad crap. And it works when, when you're competing against other manufacturers for efficiency, but all of a sudden, when there's a bump in the supply chain, you're hosed. You are totally hosed. I mean, that, that's like you having only enough sheets of toilet paper for the next bathroom visit and or having no toilet paper and hoping that the, the delivery gets there in time. So that little nuts. We are now seeing the bad side of that just-in-time delivery system. Whereas if you said, hey, you know what? I'm going to be building 100 million cars. All 100 million are going to have this chip. I'm going to order 100 million of these chips, and I'm going to build them or you know, contract for that 100 million and specify the delivery. I'm going to need you know, uh, 10,000 today, 10,000 tomorrow, that kind of thing. But that's not what they do. Yeah, it's all about you know infrastructure being stubborn is the way I'm going to put it. Um, so they don't expect prices or anything really to come down far um, anytime soon, which to me says that, that there is a perfect opportunity for single board computers to take their time, become more optimized with the software, to be able to run better all kinds of other things. But also, it literally opens the door wide for risk uh, V stuff to explode. Um, it might take a year or two, but I do see it only getting incredibly more important that the traditional chip manufacturers just do what they need to do and keep producing or else you could lose billions of dollars. So do, do you want to talk about Apple a little bit or no? Sure, sure. We can. So, all right. I am, you know, I am, if you're watching in YouTube land, this is on my 2012 MacBook Pro Retina 15-inch. First off, I didn't get that they went 14 and 16, but the 14-inch apparently has the same screen size as my 15-inch. So that's good because I'm old and I don't want to carry around a 16-inch, but a 14 is okay, 15 is better. Uh, the 16, I'm, I'm not so sure I'd want to go that big just for weight and all that bit. Um, I did spec out they're 14 with one terabyte of disk space, uh, 64 gigs of RAM, and like the top CPU, it's $3,600. Now, this computer's carried me eight years, eight years, nine years. Over nine years, the I think the $2,200 or $2,400 I paid for this was okay. Um, Apple will allow you to pay it off in monthly payments at 0% interest rate for 12 months. So it's like 300 bucks a month. So uh, for me, that was like a car payment back in the day. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I things, things are changing for me personally and as an employment. And I'm going back to uh, consulting. And so there's going to be more money coming in. So I may consider jumping on the Apple bandwagon that I've sworn many times, call me a hypocrite, I will never buy another Mac. And now I'm looking at it, I'm like, hmm, maybe. Yeah, I, I think they figured out a couple things. Um, one, it's always more efficient to own the complete stack, including the processor, where they went Intel for a while. And I think they really did learn um, 
they had to pay the Intel tax, that, which is money out of their pocket, number one. Number two, um, they then have to write their software on other people's specification, which isn't good for them as a car, as a hardware company. We saw a lot of creative types just abandon Apple once they went Intel, and a lot of people went to Windows Adobe Solutions. Um, I do believe that they figured out we're not going to get people to buy a laptop every year or two or even three. Um, so I think that's why they're literally charging into the thousands of dollars for these things because people do, I think, expect to buy one and hold on to it for a minimum of like five years, like their entire college career kind of thing. Yeah, I a couple of things. So I, I agree with what you said. The other point is Apple now is a single hardware company. They're, it's the same chip in their phone, in their iPad, in their MacBook Pro, in the Mac Pro. It, every every piece of hardware has the same family chip in it. That's something that uh, Brian Tong, boy, what was the podcast I used to listen to? Oh, gosh. Buzz Out Loud. Uh, so Brian Tong on Buzz Out Loud 10 years ago said they're all going to be going to the same processor. They're all going to be going to an ARM-derived processor. Like, you're out of your mind. You know, desktops are never going to go there. Laptops are never... He was right. You know, not... I'm sure he had industry news, because I'm sure that's how long they've been working on this stuff. But I'm completely right. I kind of have a little bone to pick about what you said with Intel. I think going to Intel when they did was a smart move. I think it was the right move at the right time. Um, you know, now they're moving away from Intel, and I. Well, well, I do agree it was the right move at the right time, but as soon as it happened, the clock was ticking. Mm-hmm. To where yes. they're going to have to get off Intel. The only question is when, and I do think their timing on this was just as good. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they're they're timing these things right. Um, I I do like you know I've been quipping I've got 32 gigs of RAM in my 2012, and they haven't really come out with any RAM upgrades. And, you know, they did bring back, I was a little shocked, they brought back MagSafe, they brought back uh, SD card slot, they brought back the HDMI port, so there's a lot, and there's, I think there's two USB-C ports, so there's a lot that came back to it. Now, my 2012 here, I have, I think, two USB-C, HDMI, uh, two... Thunderbolt, I guess, with digital video, oh, headset, and the MagSafe. So almost uh, other than the, you know, the two USB-Cs, I'm assuming, are like 3.2 or 3.3. You can do video over them, that they're like a Thunderbolt or whatever they call the port now uh, that you can do video output on. So that's that's pretty cool. I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't researched it, but... Um, I, they 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 got rid of that touch bar. They have keys again. So there's touch bar was so stupid. That touch yes. bar was so dumb. Yes, I hated I hated that idea because when I was looking at, it, I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying that. I could have bought a new one. I had the money to buy a new one. I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying that. That's not happening. Uh, so in a way, they I saw somebody comment on it that they patted their back too much for bringing back stuff they killed. I'm like, yeah, you know, okay. But happy to have it back. I, I do like the stuff, and you know, I'm I'm pretty jazzed. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll say we can go completely opposite. Um, line five sixty eight in the notes. Um, 
if you are somebody that in, like really wants to try the super ultra light browser-based operating system, Chrome OS, but you want to try it on a Raspberry Pi, um, I want to say it's called FIDE. Um, it offers a downloadable solution uh, over there on aboutchromebooks.com. They have a really good write-up. They even reference the video on explainingcomputers.com uh, showing you how it works and how it, everything uh, runs on it. And I will say this. I did download it, put it on an SD card. It ran surprisingly good is what I'm going to say. Um, I do believe they have a paid version where you can pay them. I want to say it was like... Uh, I say it was like 30 bucks a year and basically they can back up your account online and then you can access it on multiple devices blah 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 um but i'll say that it's it's remarkably smooth for free if you want just a browser-based operating system on a raspberry pi and you just want that and nothing else i think this is a really good choice it's at uh f-y-d-e-o-s dot i-o and if you go to the website i will tell you it is one of the more interactive dynamic examples of how to do websites um it like is like surprisingly smooth while at the same time you're looking at it, you're like what's going on here and then it says like fido s is the and then you say trustworthy clean cloud-based never bsod smart always up to date customizable brilliant of course brilliant um system and then you keep scrolling down and it's a very dynamic web page uh this is the kind of web page if i was doing web page i would want my web page to look like this and act like this to where it's like it's more like a presentation instead of just static text mm -hmm. kind of thing um so if you just want a browser aka you have a family member you're tired of them getting infected you're tired of having to go fix their stuff because they keep doing wrong things in their computer Literally, you might be able to get like a Pi 400, the keyboard, Raspberry Pi all in one. Oh, cool. Load this thing up on it, plug it up to their monitor, and I think you have an actual pretty good usable solution to run a safer operating system. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and I did look at their paid thing, and it's the kind of thing, I mean, okay, this is what I'll say. Um, I give Wikimedia about 30 bucks every year. I give archive.org uh, I try to give them around $50 a year. Um, Mozilla, um, nobody gives them money. Well, I pay for their VPN, five bucks a month. And every year I try to give them like 20 or 30 bucks. The logic is because nobody else is going to give them money. Um, if you use this FidoS and you like it and you think you're going to use it for a while, I would definitely consider doing the membership thing just to make sure that they know I like this. Please keep making it. Um, otherwise, I don't see a really a good reason to pay the money. Well, that looks really cool. I wonder if I could run it as a VM in my ARM ESXi cluster. I'll say I can't see a reason why not. Um, and I did remember seeing, and I can't remember off the top of my head, where there was a solution you could run on x86 computers where you could virtualize a Raspberry Pi. It was for development work. So you could develop Raspberry Pi stuff in an air quote native environment in a much mm -hmm. faster experience where I was able to load a couple different Raspberry Pi type OSs up in it, and it ran like surprisingly well. Um, and then let's go on the complete opposite spectrum of things and online um, 569. Uh, this was something that I actually saw. I want to say it was thanks to uh, ETA Prime on the YouTubes. Um, and what this is, is a very basically hollow laptop. Okay. It's a laptop that, is just a laptop, a touchpad, and a screen where you basically open it up. Um, I'm sorry, you slide in your Pi 400, the keyboard combination Raspberry Pi. So it's a shell 
that you slide in your Raspberry Pi into the middle of it, and there's no speakers. It gives you a touchpad. It gives you a screen, and it has like a little bit of connectivity. It has like I want to say like one extra port on it, not much. And all of the Raspberry Pi 400 native ports are available on the back side of it. So it really is a hollow shell with no speakers, no muscle, no like computing things going on whatsoever. And it's $239. Okay. Now, how much is the Pi 400 to slide in there? I want to say it was only 70 bucks when it was brand new. So you're into 300 bucks. How big is the, the display? I want to say it was 13 inch. 13.3 oh, yeah, uh, inch. inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got a 1080p display, 13 inch for 300 bucks. Yow. I mean, you yeah. could buy a really a good Chromebook, like a 15 inch Chromebook for that. You could buy like not even a C grade or a D grade. You could buy like a B grade Chromebook, almost like the good, really good kind of Chromebook for that price. Mm-hmm. So you're literally, because the normal price for the Raspberry Pi 400 keyboard Raspberry Pi all-in-one is $70. So to get this, you have to pay seventy dollars plus two hundred and thirty bucks. That's three hundred plus dollars, and you don't have speakers. <laughs> you don't have a lot of other things. Like there's no internal hard drive. There's no extra dock. There's no space. There's no other things. And so this is the kind of thing that I don't know who would buy, except for someone with too much money. Number one. But I would hope people with too much money would just buy a whole bunch of these things. So maybe the next version of them, they can add speakers, yep. they can add space for an NVMe and other things, mm-hmm. and bring the prices down to like, you know, 130 Yep. Yeah, I saw that and I thought, it's a really good de- it's a really good design. It really looks like a good fit and finish. It seems like a really smart idea with yep. complete astronomical pricing. Yeah, and, and I like these ideas, but the, the price should be one of the things that they think about. Yeah, absolutely cannot argue at all. Or your drive, and where do you want to go next? Um, I do like line 571 in the notes. Um, I've been like looking at like super what, what I think of as being hyper compact computers. Um, and they really do industrial grade, corporate wise, keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. This is a HP Elite Desk 800 G6 Mini 65 watt TMM more power, is what it's called. Um, this is literally the size of like a small paperback. Um, and it is a elite um, desk. Elite stuff in air quotes is the HP enterprise grade components. Um, none of these are cheap. None of these are plasticky. None of these are like, you know, uh, generic kind of things. They're all definitely higher end computers, but it is super tiny, super compact. And this is the kind of hardware I love. I just think it's really sexy. And it's the kind of hardware where I don't even want to look at the price because I'm not buying it because it has the word elite in it from HP. I'm sure it's like easily a thousand dollars. Ding, 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 ding. 905. Well, that's i5, 16 gigs of RAM, 256 gig and NVMe. I'll say for that price, it's not bad because I mean, look at this, keep scrolling down and look at all the IO on the back of that thing. It is insane how much IO they pack on this device. It literally looks like it has four, five video outputs, three display port, one mini HDMI, one full size HDMI. Then they have, it looks like three or four USBs, one Ethernet, and then oh, a couple shoot. more full size DVI. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, that I mean, the the ports on the back are Lenovo esque in sexiness because they have everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I was doing like a small upstart company and I needed my office staff to have good, powerful computers, but I insisted on them being small and quieter, I would have to look at this as being the option. Okay, so Chatter on the Wires out there. I want to say hi to Chatter on the Wire and John Hollinger. I've gotten the Wise earbuds or pods, whatever, Wise Pro. I haven't figured out how the tap stuff works. I do like them. They do fall out of my ears. I did get a Note 20 Ultra, and uh, it doesn't have a headphone jack on it, so that's why I got a wireless solution. So I'm, I'm still getting used to them. And uh, just want to say hi to uh, John Hollinger. Yeah, very good to see you, John. Hope everything's going well with you. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention, just because it's being, just because there was some changes out there, um, the Raspberry Pi Foundation changed their website up. Um, if you had bookmarks for the Raspberry Pi um, when it came to documentation for things, you might want to go and make sure that you um, research and you re-download. Now, uh, raspberrypi.com slash documentation seems like where there's a fair amount of their documentation on how their stuff works. Um, I will say, looking at it, it does look like it's really clean. And sorry, Rich, that's 570 in the notes. Um, it does look like a very, very ultra clean website. It should be very easy to like comprehend, grasp everything, see what all your options are. Like when you load up a Raspberry Pi-config is, is the option I put in the uh, notes. Um, which to me is one of the first tools you should open up after you load almost any Raspbian-based system. Yep, I, I fully agree with you. I, for the most part, I run near zero Raspbian. I am, um, you know, other than like under Home Automation Assistant, it's the underlying OS. But that—that's about it, and it's headless. Headless. Yeah, on mine, I want to say my Twister OS is Raspbian-based, and that's like the only one that I run currently. That has that tool in it, but I will say, Twister OS has Raspi config in it. It has um, PyKiss, which is kind of like a um, it's like a, a package manager just for Py things, and then it also has on it Py Web, which is a whole bunch of web apps that are that you can run as if they were locally installed applications. So I thought that was pretty cool. And talking about running web applications as if they were local applications, Rich, uh, line 575. Um, long and short of it, this is the future of a lot of stuff. Um, the future of Visual Studio as a development platform is it's going to be all web-based, where it's going to be much easier for Microsoft to control what version you have. It's also going to be much easier for them to um, um, manage subscriptions to it and make sure that everyone is in air quotes paying their fair dues to use Visual Studio. Um, it's super easy right now. Anyone can go to https slash slash vscode.dev, uh, depending on the computer, wait a second or two. And what you see in a matter of seconds wow. is a full fledged 100% Visual Studio code designer running in your browser and it does have the ability to sync to local cache and have actually have extensions loaded at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, I mean, we all thought about this. I want to say like 10 years ago where the future of the computer is the browser. Well, I think it's finally actually, Mm -hmm. we're now broaching that we're to have locally installed applications are going to be really the exception where we're like, my logic is 
you're going to only install something locally when it needs like um, direct access to some hardware kind of thing. Yep. Well, that's the whole phone thing. I'm like, every, I've got a phone that's 10 times more powerful than a computer I had, you know, eight years ago. Let me just run everything in the browser. That's I get annoyed when it's like, oh, install our app. I'm like, why? So you can track my location and sell the data. Uh, I, seriously, if it's not using hardware on the damn phone, I don't want to use an installed app. I, I'm very much so that way about the phone. Keep your crap crapware off my phone. Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I will say it it goes both ways. You might not want all of your eggs in one basket. But at the same token, you don't want one egg in a basket and then have the 10,000 baskets. You know what I mean? There's some mm-hmm. middle ground there where I think happiness can reside. Um, what I'm hoping is these kinds of web apps will not only become more popular, more powerful, more efficient, more dynamic, more customizable, more easy to do, but also have them much easier to be self-hostable on your own network. That to mm-hmm. me is the real mm-hmm. holy grail. Well, in, and I'll tell you, I, I did something recently. So uh, flyingrich.com is a train wreck. And, you know, code's broken and barely running. The contact page works. But it's supposed to be a social media wall, but all the social media has changed and it doesn't interface properly. I have a new tool that's PHP. And I had a beta of it up and running uh, in a directory, subdirectory on flyingrich.com. But what I I was having issues with it. I'm like, all right, let, let me cut out the middleman on a diet pie. So it's actually running on the Rock Pro 64. I just, with diet pie, I said, hey, install lamp stack. I got a lamp stack running in a couple of minutes. You know, walked away, got a cup of coffee, came back, threw up this code, this PHP code. You know, it's a L-A-M-P-P, you know, PHP, Python, whatever. Threw this Python code on got it running and configured. I'm like, all right, I know it runs and works, right? And I, I'm very happy with how it runs locally. I just got to deploy it to the web once they update uh, the Python uh, interpreter. Anyhow, so very cool things that you can do with a Pi and Diet Pi. Yeah, I will say, sorry. Go. I was just to say, I've only played with Python in um, the local desktop macro environment. Mm-hmm. And, and to the layman, what I mean is I run, I want to say it's called auto key, might be called auto it, sorry, um, where I basically can um, have my computer like systematically do the same thing over and over and over again. Like open up this application, okay, then copy this first line, alt tab to this other application and paste part of it, edit it, go back to the first application, go down a line, copy, go back to the other and go down and automate. Um, mm-hmm. sort of like text manipulation kind of thing, automate certain things. So I'm a huge gotcha. fan of Python, partially because you can read it and you don't need to have any real experience reading it. And it just makes sense. All right. So you've been clicking around. I've been waiting for you to click on line 570. Well, this is the kind of thing where I was honestly a little bit confused by it at first. Um, we all know that we want super cheap, efficient hardware in our environment. I would love to be able to walk in my door and touch a little sensor and it knows door door geek is here and I don't have to wear anything RFID. I don't have to wear any like specific tags. I don't have to do any weird voodoo with my phone with Bluetooth, blah, 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 blah. I love the idea of being able to have what I believe when I looked at this, it was like a $6 fingerprint sensor. Um, NFC enabled kind of thing 
Um, super small, super compact, super flexible too. From what I looked at, this is the kind of thing where I think if Brett uh, caught wind of it in the wrong way, he would order like twenty of these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, it's a crowdfunding thing, so it might not come to fruition. But if this is the kind, if you want a fully programmable small, I mean, this thing's really small form factor. Um, um, eight by eight millimeter fingerprint sensor that you can completely customize connect to almost any other kind of thing and have it work it's based upon the um esp 32 based fingerprint fingerprint sensor um i would definitely encourage you to check this thing out um and it might be the kind of thing where you might look at it and decide okay i actually need like 10 of these not just one um if there's ever a time to gamble with this kind of thing i would say it's now because uh the ESP32 community is the kind of community that goes absolutely nuts with this kind of thing. Oh, heck yeah. So pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I must have called out the wrong line because what I was going for was the home, that I was interested in that, was the home assistant tags. Well, I mean, I don't run home assistant at any place. So I just tagged this and I didn't look too much at it. But the impression I got was this could be your kind of own personal wearable RFID kind of thing to when like Bill Gates's multi-billion dollar house he used to have he used to have to wear a thing on his chest and when he walked into one room all the lights in the previous room would turn off and all the lights in this new room would turn on and his music would transfer over kind of thing. Yeah, the music would follow you, yeah. Right. We are, I'm sure that cost tens of thousands of dollars. Well, now right. uh, you can get home assistant tags which I'm sure are incredibly cheap and probably work just as good. I'm still scrolling around looking for the price. Yeah, I didn't see a price like jump out at me, which kind of shocked me. Um, it could be around the hardware the, for costing a single one could be around thirty bucks. Uh, you know, uh. yeah, that's a little up. Although uh, my daughter just got one of those Air Tags, and I, it, it's funny you. If I look for how an AirTag works, I'm talking about protocol frequency, range, and all that bit. I stumbled upon a YouTube video where they told me how it worked, meaning what you physically do with it as somebody that doesn't know a technology. And so if you threw an AirTag in a bottle and threw it in the ocean, you wouldn't get position reporting on it. Um, it does rely on Bluetooth of Apple devices. So if somebody swims by it with their phone and there's a cell tower nearby, you'll get a position report. So anybody with, you know, Apple Bluetooth on walking by an AirTag, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Amazon sidewalk, which we talked about in a prior show. So same kind of concept. It just gives like, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, UUID and GPS coordinates, and that's the data. Maybe battery life or something like that. But that's how the AirTags work. So kind of cool. Uh, I don't know how these, it looks like you need a reader and all that bit. So not exactly as cool, but same price. Right, yeah. With the Apple thing, I'm 90% sure the device itself is incredibly stupid. All it does is it tells its own Bluetooth ID. And then the Apple device says, hey, I see this Bluetooth ID, high Bluetooth ID, and then it transmits back to home base, supposedly anonymously from itself. Look, I see this Bluetooth ID, and then it uses your GPS, your location thing. Right. Like, I see it here, but supposedly none of your information goes back with it. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're a Mac house in a Mac ecosystem, 
you know, hypothetically in New York City, you'll be able to find nearly anything kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk one more up, and it's only because, I mean, back when we first started this show, one of the topics that kept coming up was a topic that then turned into the term digital signage. Uh, and what digital signage is, the ability to take a Raspberry Pi, connect it to a power source, connect it to a video source, put in your SD card, point it to a folder, and have it just continuously revolve through this short video, this picture, this picture, this short video, this picture, this picture, and just keep going forever. Um, really popular at doctor's offices, really popular at some restaurants, really popular at places where you just need a screen to cycle through the same thing over and over and over again. I'm really deathly shocked this took this long of uh, 571. Um, Ubuntu decided to make uh, something up they call Ubuntu Frame. And when you think about digital signage, what goes around the air, you know, a digital picture frame kind of thing, it's a frame kind of thing. So Ubuntu is getting into the Internet of Things, things officially by making a digital signage based distro. Um, what I'll say is good on them expanding, good for IoT kind of thing to get someone like Canonical on board officially saying this is a real thing. Um which hopefully then with updates to the base operating system, it will keep working for a long time. Uh, Ubuntu distributions, long-term support, you can go five years. So hypothetically, you could put this up in a store and for five years, keep getting security updates and not have to worry about anything else and having it just keep working. Um, I'm just shocked it took like a, a big player this long to do this kind of thing. Okay, so the article doesn't specify Raspberry Pi, but we all know you get Ubuntu on a Raspberry Pi, and if it runs on one thing on Ubuntu, it runs on everything. Yeah, yeah. that to me is the real big kicker. So you could mm -hmm. put it on a x86 board with 10 video outs, have running 10 different video things, doing 10 different digital signages, or you can run it on a Raspberry Pi Zero, doing just one digital sign. So, yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I, I I may give that a try. I don't know. Well, and it is, I think, one of the first like digital signage dedicated operating systems that explicitly supports Wayland protocol. Long and the short of it, Wayland is in air quotes the future of displaying graphical things on Linux. Xorg is eventually on its way out, kind of thing. Um, so for it to support Wayland, thus further supports the idea that you could put this in a environment and just leave it there for years and let it do its updates and it should keep working. So are you saying I can hack the video displays at a McDonald's? Sure, why not? Did you hear about the kid in, I want to say, was it Georgia? The kid like graduated high school last year, but this year, because of last year, COVID and everything, this year he decided to do his senior prank where he took every projector and every screen in every school in the county and had at 1135 the screens rolled down and it say important announcement in five minutes and it just kept counting down and if the teachers tried to roll it up or turn it off it kept turning itself back on and rolling back down and after five Ooh. minutes it played rick ashley i'm never going to give you up rick roll nice yeah. and then uh later in the day instead of playing the bell sound he played the song again <laughs> And because it's did. 2021, he didn't end up in jail. I don't know. I was going to say, did he get expelled? Uh, no, he actually already graduated, but he basically documented everything on how he did it. So he basically presented it back to the school saying, here was all the loopholes. Here was all the holes. Here's how you fix it. 
Cool. Kind of white hack, white hat hackery. Uh, and I'm really happy the school was at least smart enough to say thank you for helping us make it better instead of you know going crazy. So what is pre-search? Uh, pre-search is the email we got from Joshua Dennis uh, last episode. Oh. Um, pre-search is the way that you can have your own personal node in a search engine ecosystem where you don't have to worry about Bing. You don't have to worry about Google or other things. Um, and I believe this was the one that also can help build cryptocurrency um, credits at the same time. Okay, yeah, I read the mail, didn't understand it, didn't go back to it. But, okay, this is cool. Well, and this is the kind of thing where you have to be, like, into it um, in order to, like, get it. Because this is the kind of web page where it doesn't look like they explain everything just outright. They just give you, like, little examples. Because, like, in, like, three paragraphs in, it says, if the U.S. government forced Amazon to not allow any sort of cryptocurrency node on top of it, many blockchains would be in trouble. Many of the pre-search nodes will be perfectly fine. So they're like hinting to you that there's like some blockchain cryptocurrency thing going on there. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want like your own private node for searching, um, it's really easy to do. Get a Raspberry Pi, steal one because you apparently can't buy one anymore, and you can install pre-search. Yeah, I'm going to check that out at least. Yeah, I definitely thought it was cool. I opened it up, I loaded it, and then I turned it back off. You know, too many things going on at once is what I'll say. Oh, and Chatter did put the link in our YouTube notes to how I hacked a school. Very cool. Thank you, Chatter. Oh, hey, man. Thanks. Okay. I think we've been going for almost or just over an hour, maybe. Um, so I'll say, Rich, um, if people want to see what kind of 3D things you're printing or uh, talk uh, to listen to your general Chatter, what's the best place to go to? So I typically I'm most prolific on Instagram. So flyingrich underscore official or go to flyingrich.com. You'll get links to all of my social media or on YouTube's youtube.com slash flyingrich. No space, not flying with rich, flying rich. Well, supposedly Facebook is changing their name and people are like freaking out. I'm pretty sure it's going to be like Google, how Google in air quote changed their name to Alphabet. Yeah. But really all it was was showing the umbrella company versus smaller mm -hmm. companies. So I'm pretty sure Facebook is going to still be Facebook and they're going to take Facebook, Oculus, WhatsApp, mm -hmm. um, da, 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 they da, Instagram and just put it under a different title, which I agree. They should. It makes sense. Um, so I want to thank uh, Chatter, Swift, John, Red, uh, everybody for coming out to the live chat. Again, it's super easy to know when we go live. If you follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Discord, or Ring ask me to send you an email. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I don't say that, but yeah. But, um, or you can follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the mini PC show. Super easy way to show support to us. And at the same time, you are guaranteed to get notices before we go live in there. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, it's also super easy. It's minipc at podcast.com. Links are all in the notes. Um, and uh, I do think we actually did miss an email or two, which just means we have something to talk about the next time that we hang, Rich. Um, the Discord info should be right below the YouTube video in the chat, uh, above the chat section, if I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Discord link. It's right there beneath email. Um I want to thank everyone for coming out. Thank everyone for hanging out. Um, I will talk to everyone again real soon. Hopefully, Rich will be online here very shortly. Cool. Take it easy, Matt. My man. Hi, this is Matt from the MRP Tech Podcast. 
I would like to invite you all to take a listen to my show, the MRP Tech Podcast, on the Podnuts Network. The theme for my show is Everyday Tech for Everyday People. We talk about Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, Android, Chrome OS, and anything else technology-related. You can find us on iTunes, and you can find us by searching in any podcatcher. We hope you take a listen, and let us know what you think.